0: Okay. In good financial times, the idea of scaling up a business is an exciting prospect. Whether you started as an established small business and growth has spiked, or you're an entrepreneur of a startup that's seen rapid growth in the early years, the markets are busy, money's available for the right opportunity, and competition for the best talent is hot. Even with all that, it's not a sure thing. Even in something like the tech industry, a staggering 54% of scale-ups fail. So what's it like in a tougher market like we're in today? Even harder, right? Interestingly, though, research would say that the failure rate is not actually about the money in the main. It's about not having the right level of expertise to scale up effectively and enough talent and will in the workforce to sustain the pressures of hypergrowth. Forbes and Inc. magazine both say that building a great culture and team is one of, if not the biggest challenge scale ups face. So, In a market like we have today, how can you scale successfully and maximize the power of the people to do that? Well, today I'm joined by Andrew Bartlow. With 25 years of human resources and talent management experience in many big and complex organizations, today Andrew helps businesses to articulate their people strategy and accelerate their growth whilst navigating rapid change. He's also the co-author of the book Scaling for Success, people priorities for high growth organizations. So he's the perfect partner to help us look at how to make the most of our people when scaling up a business successfully. Welcome to the show, Andrew.
1: Thank you so much, Andy.
0: How are you doing, my friend?
1: You know, I we, we talked about me fighting COVID over the past uh, <laughs> week. So you, you may hear it in my voice a little bit, but hey, I'm really pleased to be here with you.
0: It's all good, my friend. I think pretty much all of us have been there. And if, if you haven't yet, it's coming to get you and then we can kind of move on i think it's really nice to have you here today will you just do me a quick favor andrew how about just introducing yourself with a bit more detail about what you do and what you're working on at the moment for for the listeners
1: please sure sure well as as you mentioned i have a long career in human resources uh 20 plus years in-house as the head of hr at companies from fortune 50 to less than 50 employees i've uh I had the top job four or five, maybe six times, depending how you count it, uh, with mergers and acquisitions thrown in there. Um, wrote a rocket ship with um, a, a real estate tech company uh, as they went public and had a little tiny piece of that. Uh, pulled my golden parachute and hung my single shingle as a consultant <laughs> a few years ago. Wrote my bucket list book, uh, Scaling for Success. And uh, you know now I... Now I work with other organizations and other HR leaders to help them be more successful. Um, So, you know, I so I have a career in both very large enterprise organizations as well as, you know, peer startups. Um, Not a lot of people have that, you know, uh, that that experience on both sides of the fence. And, uh, you know, I bring it together by, you know, really focusing on the human resources work, um, helping the people people to be more effective.
0: I love that. It sounds like you're you're living the dream with the golden parachute and the rocket ship and the uh, the bucket list book. Amazing stuff. We will obviously reference the book as we go through today. But can I can I maybe ask you, uh, what well, seemingly simple question? What inspired you to write that book in the first place, Andrew? What, what what was it that thought you know what I need I need to write this book?
1: Well, I'd uh, I'd left the internal job, chief HR officer of a you know, very large organization worth. I don't know, 14 15 billion dollars depending where where the market is today and I had a lot had a lot of choices and was trying to figure out what to do with myself besides be a terrible stay-at-home dad <laughs> for a while yeah I was uh, you know drinking too much wine and uh, my my uh, I don't play golf <laughs> so I, I needed to find something to do with myself and uh, you know as, as I was evaluating hey what does the world need and what do I know where I could contribute? You know I can I can work at a food kitchen I can you know mow lawns uh, you know I can start gardening um, or I could help other people that are struggling with the same things that I struggled with through my career and be useful so that's where the book came from it's just trying to share my school of hard knocks to help other people navigate a little bit more gracefully
0: brilliant although uh, I've got to say the law of a ride on lawn mower I mean, that's, I mean, that's a thing, right? That's on my bucket list at some stage. Get myself a ride on lawnmower and just ride off into the sunset. That'd be marvelous. Send
1: send a photo, please. (laughs) Definitely, my friend, definitely.
0: So look, the subject of scaling up, I mean, that's a grown-up topic for this podcast, right? And just so that we all follow the trail. You give you're the guy who's done this many many times and and knows knows what it's all about. When we're talking about scaling up, what are we referring to here? What are we really
1: dealing with? Sure. Well, let's uh, let's define a couple of terms. Hypergrowth is is thrown around um, wildly some days. You know, I I define hypergrowth as fifty percent headcount growth over a twelve month period. Okay. Um, Lots of organizations, particularly venture backed. Software startups find themselves in a hypergrowth um, environment shortly after a funding round. Um, so I, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I work with many startup scale ups and uh, you know growth equity uh, platforms. And there's a lot of that activity happening out here as well as everywhere else. Boy, it's it's been amazing in the UK and Ireland and Austin, Texas, and you name it. Uh, it's it's no longer just Silicon Valley um lots of organizations are having success even in this tighter marketplace so again scaling up is about growth Mm. and for purposes of people issues i think about that as headcount growth
0: nice and simple and so i said in the intro about sort of changing market and the landscape right now and whether it throws in different challenges compared to like a, a a bear market or something what, what do you perceive the sort of challenges of the current marketplace for, for scaling up businesses?
1: Yeah, well, we're recording this episode on May 23rd of 2022. The, the markets here in the U.S. have been highly volatile, mostly trending down, sadly. Um, and I've been monitoring uh, technology company layoffs. Right. Uh, the, the list is long. You know, we we have very rapidly swung from this massive war for talent during the Great Resignation, Great Reshuffling, whatever you want to call it, to now we have you know quite a few skilled people that are looking for work. Um, ha- hasn't significantly changed the unemployment rate among uh, knowledge workers, mm. but the, the the market is is shifting. Um. And I'm sure that we'll get to this, but I think the formula for success mm. isn't that different. Okay, whether you're in good times or in bad,
0: just maybe the competition for talent is different. Is, would you say that's that's the case, or not in your experience?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, no, no matter whether you know the the market is raising all boats or whether it's making things tougher for everybody, you know, they're there is elite talent that organizations compete for and how to select those people and how to align them and ensure that they're working on the right things and keep them motivated and productive those are those are evergreen issues
0: yeah yeah the market is, doesn't doesn't really shape that it's there's a rule of thumb right and maybe we should start to try and get into that when we think about whether it's good times or whether it's bad times what is that formula then for success for for scaling up from your perspective?
1: Yeah, um, well, I, I would suggest that um, it, it's not it's not rocket science, mm. and it's not found on the latest Apple News article um, or HBR newsfeed. It, it's a focus back on the basics. It's being brilliant at the basics, and and that means. Figure out what's important to your organization. What are you trying to accomplish? Um, communicate that um, repeatedly to your organization and make sure that you're working on the most important things all the time. Um, and, and that is just a very simple sort of, you know, Big Rocks, Franklin Covey you mm. know, concept of if you're, if you're leading people, then you need to provide clarity and a, a simple plan uh, for those people to together get something done.
0: And if we start with that, focusing on brilliant basics. If we've got this stat in the background, and I don't, I don't know. Look, I've tried to do some research, but you know, it's it's what you find on Google. <laughs> so if it's reliable, <laughs> we'll see. But it seemed to be fairly common statistic that two percent of startups get to ipo right that they get all the way through into 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 an ipo which that's a shocking statistic for me when i when i when i saw that but if we think about those brilliant basics that can't be happening all the time looking at failure rate that we talked about before for even the tech stuff being about 54% or whatever. And then you've got this other shocking thing about getting to IPO being tiny percentages. Why are the brilliant basics not happening?
1: Well, I I think that venture funding uh, is like gasoline. Okay. uh, uh, Or rocket fuel. Uh, That's better said. Um, Boy, it can help you go fast and far, uh, but it's also highly explosive and really dangerous. (laughs) Okay. So as you're taking um, funding for growth, you're accepting a burn rate, mm. usually. Mm. And that means that you're, you're taking on more costs than revenue is coming in. And usually those costs in, uh, in SaaS companies and software mm. uh, as a service mm. companies mm-hmm. is people. Um, and, and so that is dangerous. Um, you've got to figure stuff out pretty quickly as you're burning cash and you've got to be able to raise again um, assuming that you're not getting to profitability and it yeah, I think it's you know there's some there's some danger in the idea of blitz scaling mm. a popular book uh, came out a few years ago around um, you know double-sided marketplaces and this you know, idea of a single winner and you you've, you've got to make rapid traction to win in your space. Um, that led I think, quite a few organizations to take it too far or to apply it in their organization when it didn't really apply to them. Mm. Um, And there's this overhang. And that's where we're seeing layoffs today, where organizations got out over their skis, hired too many people, um, got too aggressive, and now find themselves needing to trim back.
0: Yeah. I guess this stuff sort of comes in, I I, I guess, in different sorts of categories. Because in the different stages of growth, I guess there are very different people challenges, right? Mm. So that bit at the front about, I guess, even to secure the funding to go on, you need a certain amount of talent and a certain type of, of talent, right? I mean, that must be a challenge in its own because the people that are going to help you secure <laughs> secure the funding, they're, uh, I guess, a commodity that people go after as well, right?
1: Well, you, you normally get your... You know first round of funding due to your team and your Tam mm. so you know who, who's your founding team you know do investors have confidence that they know what they're doing and can you know create something valuable and the Tam is total a total addressable market okay so what's the potential ultimate size of this business so you can get angel seed and even a you know healthy series a boy series a seem to be Five to $10 million nowadays um, with a team and a TAM. Um, But beyond that, and I I named my uh, own consulting business Series B Consulting. That's not because my last name starts with B, (laughs) Bartlow, but because the people issues start to get really interesting and complicated around Series B. Okay. So around Series B, you're typically seeing teams of 50. Fifty plus, yeah, and so at that point, it's no longer just the founding team and you know the, the people in their garage or their their army of contractors. You have employees, you have layers, you have managers of managers, and that's where things get complex in an organization. It's around Series B, which coincides with around fifty people.
0: Hundred percent. This is the. I mean, I call it. I think I call it the frozen mo moment for me. This is about letting go. All right, this is the point at which distributed leadership comes in, and it's it's not you, the dude, making all the decisions and, and carrying the can the whole time. You're looking for others to kind of take that burden, right? So your challenges, and it's staggering actually when you when you think how you classed hyper growth, fifty percent people growth in a in a twelve month period. I mean, that's that's big, right? I mean, that's noticeable. Change that's that's people coming in every day or every week new, and we know what it's like when you're trying to onboard people at a really simple uh, cadence. But when people are coming on a constant stream, I mean that must throw up its own different challenges. Your whole kind of onboarding strategy process must be way slicker than the normal, perhaps at that point.
1: Yeah, well, it it certainly increases the attention on talent acquisition. And on onboarding and often, you know, makes organizations a little, a little sloppy in their speed. And, um, you know, you can, you can trade off your, your time, cost and quality to an extent, right? So those are the three levers and you can move really fast, but it's not necessarily going to be, you know, it, it, um, cheap and good. Uh, so you, you know, you can get two out of the three, you two out get, of the three, can't get all of them. Right. Absolutely. right. I,
0: I worked in marketing, my friend, but that was a, that was definitely, <laughs> definitely something I would say to clients or, or, or departments that are asking me for stuff. Yeah. hundred percent. I know the triangle. And, yeah. and I guess at that point also you're deferring recruitment to other people, right? At that point, of, at that point of growth, you've probably done it yourself at that point.
1: Well, you, uh, you need to, yeah. um, boy, famous stories, uh, with, with Google, the founders of Google were still interviewing the first how many thousand hires Wow um, the recruiting team was preparing a CV for each candidate and one of the founders had to sign off that this was a Googler um, and they did that into the four digits that's of, incredible, of their it? company yeah and yeah that's uh, yeah that's one of my you know key ideas that um, that, that I talk about a lot which is, Just because Google did that, and Google is a wildly successful organization, I wouldn't suggest that's a great practice that lots of other organizations should adopt, right? You you could make an argument and say, oh, you need to have control over your talent, and you need to have deep assessment by by the founders for all your critical first X number of hires. Well, I'd suggest (laughs) that they may have succeeded because they have a great product. Or products um and in spite of an awkward uh people management practice
0: and do you see that well in your experience how well have people coped with that leap of faith about that letting go period have you i mean you must have seen <laughs> various kind of degrees of uh happiness with that letting go stuff
1: oh um Not really. really? I I have not seen. I've not seen a great range, but I've seen a lot of consistency. That it is really damn hard. Right. I say. Can I say that on? You've said it, and it's cool.
0: It's cool with me, my friend.
1: All right. Great. Um, It's it's really hard for a founder CEO to uh, delegate, to empower, to trust. Um, Their organization is so deeply wrapped up Mm -hmm. in their. identity and ego, that it's scary. It's terrifying to have anybody else make a decision of consequence. Um, and, and so I have just about invariably seen founders struggle to varying extents, but there's always some level of struggle uh, with delegation, empowerment, and uh, you know, it's, I guess it's letting go, but uh, managing a larger, more dispersed organization.
0: And this is why I think this is an interesting topic for us because, and I've referenced this guy before, but there was a piece of work done by Ranjay Gulati. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he talked about um, the soul of a startup and he, and he talked about this, I guess quandary that startup founders uh, face. Like you just said, their whole DNA is in this business. You know, it's pretty much everything they're living and breathing. It's every waking hour that they're doing. And as the business gets bigger, you know, they're relying on other people to kind of carry that message through. And yet, the first thought for them isn't to hardwire and code this DNA, it's just to live it. And he talks about the need to capture the soul of the business and to absolutely replicate, hardwire, tell the story, you know, Mm -hmm. breathe it into the business through other people. As early as possible, particularly when you're doing this kind of hyper growth of people, because yep. you need other people to tell the story as passionately, as engaging, as authentically as as you are, right? Um yep. and is, is is that something is that a big banner that you waved in, in your career looking at all the people stuff for, for, for big growth businesses?
1: Um what I end up spending a lot of time on is the the CEO or the head of HR will approach me and say, how do we keep our culture the same? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was going so great when we had 25, 50, 150 people, and now we're dispersed and we're working remotely and it feels different. And how do we, how do we stop our culture from changing? Yeah. Right. So the, the connotations there are, it's still control. It's still kind of holding back. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I, do my best to help educate them that hey, this is a natural evolution. Like congratulations on your growth, and <laughs> more, more growth, more problems. Yeah, um, yeah, and and as you grow, those problems evolve, and so, uh, explaining the mission, explaining the the critical few, um, helping your broader team to make similar decisions as you would make. As CEO founder, boy, that's powerful and pays massive dividends. Um, I, I I do tend to steer a bit away from the really deep uh, vision, mission, values, purpose exercise. I think mm-hmm. that a lot of that work ends up going you know down the rabbit hole and involves massive teams for you know dozens or hundreds of hours. And you know ultimately, it's it's the the decision makers who need to decide who are we and how should things operate and take accountability for disseminating that throughout your organization. You can't bubble up culture. Um, The decision makers own it. And, and uh, you know, that's what culture is. It's how decisions get made. It's who who is rewarded, recognized, hired, fired, promoted, you you, you name it. And so, you know, I, I tend to work with founders and leaders that are at, some transition point and helping them understand this is normal, this is okay. Mm. Your instincts are probably hurting you, um, and and here's what it looks like around the corner.
0: Mm. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I I agree uh, to a very large extent with what you just said about that uh, involvement piece or getting involved in the wormhole that could be vision, values, etc., and purpose. I think, I think this, the top team has to absolutely set, set the vision and agenda for that. Mm-hmm. I think how it gets validated comes through a number of ways on the, in, the, in the work that, that, that I do. And let's, let's be honest, I haven't scaled up billion-dollar businesses and have no golden parachute of which to jump out of a plane with, right? But my, my little experience has been that some of those things are about transference of behaviour. And I think there's a great amount of work of role modeling and t- storytelling and all this stuff that the, the leaders need to do. But the guys on the floor have to sort of like have some belief in it, see that stuff, make it relevant to what actually happens in their day-to-day work. I think a lot of that stuff ends up getting detached, you know, and yeah. has, has no relevance in someone's day-to-day work. And an element of involvement in that, I think, is is really, really useful. But I I'm, I agree. I think the map has to be determined by the top team, but then they have they can't just clap clap themselves on the back, uh, having prepared the map and go. Well, there you go, gang. Over to you. Like you say, everyone needs to see what's. Ha- they need to see it in real life. It needs to be it needs to be living.
1: Well, hey, real talk about culture. Mm. Vast majority of organizations, their leader wants it to be air quote good. Mm. Right, wants it to be healthy, where people want to work there, people want to work hard, and maybe they'll get engaged in the word smithing of what ends up on the wall or the mouse pads or your screensaver. Um, and maybe they don't. Yeah. I, so, without naming names, yeah, I've yeah. worked at more than one organization where the CEO said, "Okay, we, we just went through a merger. We probably need to communicate um, values to the organization." Uh, Andrew you're my HR leader go help me figure out what those should be right that massive exercise okay salute let's go yeah let's pull together the team and uh (laughs) let's send out a survey and we'll have the focus groups and and the outcome and I've seen this repeated with a bunch of organizations I work with so not not just the the one experience there yeah yeah yeah. um it's meaningless Mm. it's it it doesn't mean anything if the leader doesn't own it authentically. 100% and if it doesn't embrace the good, the bad, and the ugly about the reality, sure, it can be a little bit aspirational. Um, but if you're putting out the pablum of you know, we pay competitively and we you know, embrace diversity and we encourage work-life balance, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Everybody says that. Very few organizations actually do something meaningful around it. Correct. It doesn't really describe how your organization operates.
0: I'd rather you didn't even do the do the exercise if that's what it's going to be. You know.
1: Totally agree. Mm. Totally agree. If if you're not going to do it well and embrace some of the warts, um, don't do it. It's yeah. it's a waste of time. Your your organization has plenty of other things that are probably more valuable.
0: Hundred percent. Hundred percent. That's 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 definitely my my mantra here. That's only because I get a bit antsy about people just paying lip service to it or chucking the word innovation and integrity into a set of values and thinking it's done. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not good. Look, I'm interested to dig into your secret formula a bit more, Andrew. So when you're thinking about a successful people uh, focus for dealing with rapid change, how do you break that down? What, what is the recipe?
1: Great. And I, I love how you position this rapid change mm. is that that applies to rapid growth as well as reaction to a new market dynamic. You know, yeah, so it's quite. scaling up or maybe, you know, tightening the belt, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's the same recipe. OK. Yeah. Um, I, I think it starts with have a plan, a people plan. Right. You, you have a business plan, um, but have people plan. And, uh, you know, often when you're dealing with rapid change, that's that's an excuse not to plan. Oh, things are changing so fast. We, are, we need to be nimble. Um, we need I, to be I agile. Wanna... Hey. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Fa- failure to plan is to plan to fail. Um, and, and that doesn't mean you need a hundred you know, page deck from McKinsey that's out of date before it's ever printed Mm. you know it should be simple and ready to evolve but you know basically what are the most important things around managing your organization that will help your organization succeed far too few organizations spend even a few heartbeats thinking about that question
0: and are there like into your mind, some kind of key categories within that plan that, you know, they're the must haves. You've got to have these things in, in this plan, or you've got to have thought about
1: certain particulars. Um, I, I I think commonly, commonly you'll have a workforce plan. Mm -hmm. So how many people doing what often, where do I need? Right. So, that, that's something that certainly evolves as dynamics change mm-hmm. uh, but it but that's very closely tied to your expenses and your burn rate and how you organize your recruitment work um, so some form of headcount plan or workforce plan is immensely useful but that's not the plan itself that's mm-hmm. more of an output mm-hmm. so you know if if an organization says we want to expand into Europe, we want to, you know, in, increase revenue through opening a B2B channel, and we want to improve Salesforce effectiveness. Great. From a people management perspective, what are the short list of things that directly support those most critical business priorities? Yeah. And we, we HR people often get stuck working on HRE things, right? We... We come with solutions that are trying to find a problem. Like, oh, I just know that we need a a mental health benefit. Um, I've got this great solution. Let's let's say that can be helpful to our expansion into Europe because dot, dot, dot. And it becomes a stretch.
0: I was going to say, it must be easy to get distracted, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So be really clear about your alignment of your most important people priorities Mm. with your most important business priorities. So it starts with having a plan Mm -hmm. and then it flows to number two, ruthlessly prioritize within that plan. Mm. So, you know, don't, don't bring the solutions that are looking for a problem. Uh, Make sure that you're allocating your time and resources and attention appropriately. So that that's number two, number one, have a plan. Number two, ruthlessly prioritize to ensure alignment. Yeah. Um Number three, I'd say clarity. Um, you know clarity is part of the recipe. It's part of the people formula around dealing with rapid change. That means communicate and repeat, set very clear expectations, reinforce those ruthlessly prioritized priorities, mm. reinforce what's most important to the organization. Um, reinforce, um, who should be doing what, clarity is super important. Um,
0: well, and then sorry, Andrew, when you're communicating, yeah. and I know you say this because I've worked with a few people who, are, who came from very different schools as sort of CEOs. Mm-hmm. You know, one guy was, they don't need to know the why, they just need to know what I want to do. And an, and another guy wanted to really explain the, the reason behind stuff. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of more aligned to the second guy, right? Because I think, the first question anybody asks, either they've read an announcement or they've walked away from a briefing, is, "Well, well, why are we doing that?" <laughs> right. right? What's what's what, what's been your experience with with that sort of clarity piece?
1: Yeah, um, it, in my book, uh, you know, chapter one, I I talk about these two archetypes, kind of you know, tongue in cheek, of the mule driver and the prophet. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's it may be a little dated uh mule driver uh the idea is you have someone who's sitting on the wagon whipping the mules and they're making all the decisions they're deciding what direction to go in and how fast and the mule so the analogy here is your team is the mules yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. might feed them carrots you might pet them uh they, they might get evian water but like you're you're the task master that's the mule driver the, the other archetype is the prophet, the long flowing white beard, coming with the uh, um, stone tablets, who can attract this crowd of brilliant people around them, and you know, capital it throws itself at the prophet, uh, but the prophet doesn't like to get their hands dirty, doesn't like to come off the mountain, has a really tough time making tough decisions and mm. executing. Mm. So th- those aren't necessarily on the same axis. Mm. Um, but th- those are two really common archetypes of founders. Yeah. The, the person that's kind of doing it all and the, the driver, and the big idea visionary who, you know, isn't really sure how to get stuff done, but can, you know, sure build a great team. Yeah. So I think there are risks with both of those uh, archetypes. I think there are real positives. To both aspects, like the mule driver, you're going to get where you're going. Yeah. Mules may not be happy; might change out some mules along the way, but you're going to get where you're going. And the the profit, you'll have this motivated, engaged, positive team until they figure out somebody actually needs to break ties and we're not getting anything done. So you know, I think I think the the message there is you should look for the Goldilocks zone, that happy middle um, where you're getting stuff done and you're giving your team enough context that they can, you know, go down the right road.
0: Yeah. That no, makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. Especially when you put it that way. So, so we've got have a plan. We've got ruthlessly prioritize. We've got bring the clarity piece. Uh, anything else to that recipe?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd add, um, again, people formula for dealing with rapid change. Mm. Um, Context is king. Um, So just like we talked about the um, recruitment and selection process at Google during the early days, Mm -hmm. um, what works um, for you is likely to be different than what worked at some big famous brand name company um, that probably had a very different context than you do. So, you know, just apply some critical thinking to whatever sort of air quote, best practices uh, you hear about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you, in your experience now of trying to help other businesses, do you see that as a common, a common thing? Someone sitting there either highlighting a Google or a Netflix or a Patagonia or whatever it might be, some, some kind of hero company. And well, they did that. We should, we should follow that path. Is that, is that something you see often?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we're we're in a silver bullet or pharmaceutical culture where we want to take a pill or follow the playbook that will guarantee success. And so and so did this, you know, LinkedIn did blitz scaling, so we should do bl- blitz scaling. And uh, you know, Netflix did that, so we should do that. Yeah, I-, I think for dealing with rapid change, rather than applying rapid solutions mm. that aren't well thought through, what I'm encouraging is take a couple of breaths. It'll help you accelerate and map out a really simple plan that has clear aligned priorities um, and apply a a light pressure testing of does this make sense for us? Mm. Whatever we're trying to bring from your last company or what you read about over the weekend or your CEO retreat that you went to with the investors, um, you know, just, just apply some you know, basic critical thinking of, is this likely to work for our situation?
0: And when you went through it yourself and now you've come out, I guess the other side, you've got your plan. Um, you've got your four ingredient recipes. What, what was the toughest lesson you had to learn actually going through it yourself?
1: Yeah, well, I've, uh, I've led this sort of work a, a bunch of times and now I advise companies how to do it themselves. You know what? What's often difficult is keeping the list short. Mm. Is is keeping the priorities tight, and, and the judgment around when to swap a priority out, or add one, or or delete one, and that's as much art as it is science, right? It's it's judgment. You know, so that that's where it can be challenging because new stuff will always pop up. Sure. Yeah.
0: And you wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. And what do you want that? Key takeout for people reading that book to be, Andrew. What, what's the kind of for you the driving message that runs throughout that book?
1: You know, I think I think it comes back to and, and you opened with this, Andy. Um, be brilliant at the basics. Right? It's it's not about grabbing some you know shiny new idea. Uh, it's about focus and that the boring work of uh, repeatedly communicating. Priorities and clarity. Yeah,
0: I love that that whole storytelling thing. I I found this whole conversation fascinating. It's not a topic we've delved, dived into before in terms of the rapid scale. We've talked about distributed leadership and how things kind of change. It's just really interesting to think about it in this context. And and this is going to sound daft, but I still can't get over the way that you describe the definition for hypergrowth. It's really visual for me that fifty percent people rise in twelve months. That's, that's quite a staggering image in my head. Um, enough of my waffling. We've got to the part in the show, my friend, that I call sticky notes. So we are looking for you to summarize all the various things that we've talked about mm. as bits of advice that you could give to my listeners, and they could take them away on three little Post-it notes, okay? And then we'll work them up and stick them on the Instagram channel and everything will be hunky-dory. So if I was to ask you for your three sticky notes in this whole topic of Scaling up and getting the best out of your people as you're doing that. What would your pieces of advice be?
1: All right, three sticky notes. So let, let's keep these short. Um, three words for each of the sticky notes. Mm. Clarity is critical. Right, nice. that's one. Nice. Self-explanatory. Second, this may need some explanation. Humans have memories. Oh, okay. Yeah, in in the tech world, um, and especially in this digital marketing age, there's this concept of test and iterate. Like, oh, we'll try something. And if it doesn't work really well, we'll try something else. And I see people approach, uh, I see leaders approach this in the hybrid work environment. Okay, go home. Okay, come back for two days. Okay, go home again. People with lives outside of work crave reliability. They want to know how to take care of their childcare situation or their commute or their home office or whatever. They don't want policies jumping around on them all the time. And you can very quickly breed cynicism within your workforce if you're jumping around with your management practices all the time. Okay, we're going to do a performance review that has five factors, or no, we're just going to do monthly check-ins, or we're going to... Humans have memories, Mm. And so that just reinforces the idea about being thoughtful mm-hmm. about your management practices, and not going too far down the path of testing and iterating.
0: And your third, sir,
1: my third, authenticity builds trust. Nice. So that ties back to our culture conversation around, like, hey, embrace, <laughs> embrace the warts. We are who we are. Uh, we we know that. Um, our founder, CEO has certain ways of working and ways of operating. boy, we're hoping that they develop and grow with time. <laughs> but own it. Don't just drop meaningless commentary to your organization. If you're doing too much PR, corporate speak internally, your, your team's going to tune it out and, and not believe you. Um, and so be authentic, build trust. That helps with clarity, alignment. And productivity.
0: Thank you, Andrew. Three smashing sets of uh, sticky notes there. I look forward to sticking those on the Instagram account later on. Um, Andrew, look, we've run out of time, but I would just like to say thank you so much for that conversation. I I found that fascinating. And look, thank you so much for battling COVID to come here today, talk to me, and provide some really stimulating material for my listeners. I really appreciate it, my friend.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me. Hopefully my audio comes through as I mute myself, as I cough. But uh, boy, great conversation, insightful questions. Just really hope that this is helpful for your audience.
0: I'm sure it will be, my friend. Thank you very much, and you take care. Okay, everyone, that was Andrew Bartlow. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about him and some of the topics that we've talked about, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.